Welcome to another episode of the Mystery Bible on Podcast. We are on episode 18, where we will be discussing some current events and also discussing the next section coming up in our Birthright series. Tonight, you have myself and you have our good friend and co-host, Dan Rundio. We don't have Brian tonight. He is uh, under the weather. You can uh, say a prayer for his health. His energy was flagging, and we said, look, sit this one out, come back stronger for the next one. I'm sure that the Lord will provide for him. So you've got Joel and Dan, like kind of like the good old days. And we are going to discuss some uh, current events, as I mentioned, specifically some of the recent UFO whistleblower conversation that is that you've probably seen in the news a lot. If not, then you're going to be familiar with it now. And also we will discuss the next part of the Atlantis chapter in Birthright. So that's what we have for you. As always, I want to thank each and every one of you for being here. We're so humbled by what the Lord's been doing with this podcast. We're so excited to have as many people as our faithful listeners. We appreciate the feedback we've been getting, the encouragement we've been getting on these episodes. This is a service to you and it's our joy to serve you in this way and bringing whatever we can and whatever we have for any given recording. So don't forget to share. Don't forget to join the discussion thread. Some of you, if you're on the Apple iTunes, by the way, which is something I'm not as familiar with, I don't know if you can see the same show notes everybody else can see. So if you cannot, and you keep hearing us talk about these show notes and the links and all this stuff, go to mysterybibleon.com. And you should be able to send us a message from there. I think, Dan, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think it's info at mysterybibleon.com is another uh, way you could reach us through email and just say, hey, I want to join the Telegram thread and I don't have the show notes and so I don't have a link and uh, we will happily send it to you. So uh, we don't want anybody to be left out of there and left out of those conversations. If it's something you want to participate in, of course, I, we're, we're not exactly hawking social media. I spend very little time on social media myself, but we do like to provide a place for people to interact with us and each other and ask questions and talk about what they're learning about or thinking about from the episodes. We think that's a positive thing. So all that being said, let's get into the conversation. I want to pass the mic to Dan just to give his thoughts just on some of the current events, Dan, you're... I know you've been seeing because we've been sending some messages and including Brian on our own personal thread on some of the stuff that's been going on in the news. What's going on out there? Why is everybody suddenly talking about UFOs again, maybe more than ever? Why is this such an interesting time to be having this conversation? Yeah, the, yeah, the whistleblower stuff that's coming out, right? So there was a guy who came out who was saying that the parts of the government have retrieved, crashed, non-human origin ships, basically, that, that the government is working on reverse engineering and that, that's being hidden from Congress. So he came out under this whistleblower protections that are fairly new and sharing a story. And, and, and that's been interesting. I've read a lot of different reactions to that particular uh, whistleblower and everything from people talking about how credible he is and uh, how much what he's saying is spot on and we need to listen to him to people tearing him apart and saying it's completely ridiculous and everything he's saying is made up to people saying you know something in between like he's not really a whistleblower he's actually just working still working in intelligence and you know giving the information that he's being told to give to throw people off the scent so whatever you make of it 
I don't know. I never met the guy or talked to him. Um, I, I did see today that there's apparently been uh, a string of other whistleblowers that are, are not public yet uh, that are, as uh, Senator Marco Rubio was talking about, uh, there's quite a few of them that have been fearful for their professional lives, certainly, if they were to come forward publicly. So, you know, that it, it's interesting stuff. There's obviously more and more uh, sightings. It's becoming more and more of a mainstream topic. I even saw another article where there was a was somebody talking about the idea that, that spaceships flying around are really just demons, which is, a, is a, another topic that we've addressed earlier in the podcast. So that's my two cents. What do, what are you thinking, Joel? Yeah, that's a great summary. I'll add a little color commentary just so that people have the spectrum because some, sometimes we hear names and headlines and stuff. And I, I want to try to tie together just a little bit of kind of end to end what, what happened? Why is this in the news? Why is everybody talking about it? So there's a news outlet called News Nation, which is presumably a legitimate outlet. It's not, you know, Fox or MSNBC or CNN, but it's it's cannibalized some pretty big names from some of those big outlets. And it holds itself out to be, you know, the, the less manipulated, less uh, controlled, less uh, party line towing, for, you know, from what other, whatever side of the spectrum. They're supposed to be a, more of a, a third party, j- just another news outlet. And one of the investigative journalists there is Ross Coltart. Uh, he is, I believe, an Australian journalist, and he's done a lot of, of interviews and documentaries in the UFO space as from that Australian perspective. He released an interview, or he did an interview that was released by News Nation in uh, June, so earlier this month, with a gentleman named David Grush. David Grush, if you, you, know, if you look at his background on Wikipedia, it's going to say he's a decorated combat officer with the USAF or United States Air Force. He's a veteran of the National Geospatial Intelligence Agency, the National Reconnaissance Office. And this is recent, you know, from 2019 to 2021, et cetera. He was the representative of the NRO to the Unidentified Aerial Phenomena Task Force. He was the co-lead UAP for analysis at the NGA and its representative of the task force. So he's neck deep in this stuff professionally. That's his career. His career has been very involved with UAPs, special air force projects. He's been reporting to or supporting other UAP tasks task forces, and he has a you know a pretty good track record and background. He's a you know he's he's not some kook out of left field, and he's very involved in the intelligence agencies and has an intelligence background. He's reasonably well spoken. The reason why this is interesting that he's coming forward right now is there was, uh, in 2023, there was something called the National Defense Authorization Act, which was passed, and that included whistleblower protections and exemptions to non-disclosure agreements for UFO whistleblowers. And that Defense Authorization Act in 2023 also mandates that the military review UFO sightings. And I believe there's some congressional tie-ins as well. And, and right now there is a congressional panel or some congressional task force that is reviewing UAP uh, information. It's active in this. So theoretically, it would be a crime to withhold information from Congress if it's seeking it. What Grush has done is he has placed himself under these new whistleblower protections. And, and what a whistleblower is, if you're not familiar with that term, it's 
somebody who is raising the alarm that something untoward is happening and somebody's trying to get, they're saying, I know from the inside something's going on that the public needs to know. I'm going to make it public. And there's a, a variety of whistleblower protections that say if somebody comes forward with information that you, they're not supposed to be retaliated against by their employer or by organizations. And this whistleblower protection stuff is specific to UFO activity or UAP activity. So this is kind of the first big case of somebody kind of raising their hand and saying, now that these protections are in place, I have something to say. And he he was involved, I don't remember exactly how it was, but his interview was promoted by Leslie Keen and Ralph Blumenthal. Those are the New York Times journalists who originally broke the UAP or the Unidentified Aerial Phenomena with the Navy back in 2017. That was arguably kind of the the resurgence of the UFO and UAP conversation in 2017, kind of bringing it to, for, for the first time really, or the first time in, in recent history, putting it on the front page or and you know on the, on the New York Times as a legitimate and valid topic. And since then, it's gained a lot of momentum. And now people are willing to publicly talk about UFOs like Marco Rubio and say, yeah, I've got people coming to me saying that they have, and not just random people, but I, I have people from intelligence communities coming to me saying that there's a lot of stuff going on that we don't know about. So what are the claims that these guys are making? Well, as Dan mentioned, Mr. Grush is saying that he has seen information and evidence that he believes is valid and has heard from people in the community who he believes are trustworthy sources that there are non-man-made craft that have been recovered. He's gotten pretty specific in terms of there being at least 12 over some periods of time craft that have been recovered, that there have been reverse engineering efforts by the US government and the Pentagon, as well as, and this is where it gets really creepy, depending on who you talk to, as well as a lot of private organizations. So in other words, there are private contractors to the government, whether it's Lockheed Martin or Raytheon or whomever, that have kind of taken over some of these things. And a lot of the analysis and reverse engineering and work that's being done on them is not really being done by the Pentagon. That's sort of the narrative that's rising to the top here is that there's a lot of, of private work that's happening that is outside of Congress's knowledge, outside of the, the public's knowledge for sure, and really outside of the official channels. So this is bombshell stuff, depending on who you ask, because you've got a well-qualified person stating publicly to the media that there are craft and he even also says that according to his sources and the information he's seen bodies that are non-human that have been recovered and in one case possibly a living body so there's a lot of stuff like that so why is this a big deal well it's a big deal because it's mainstream nothing that he's saying by the way is in any way revolutionary to anybody who's been following this narrative for a long time. And, and many people are saying that makes him more likely to seem valid because he's not saying anything that really changes the narrative for those who are interested in the narrative. So if you're, if you're a, you know, an armchair ufologist or somebody who follows a UFO narrative, if you're part of MUFON or the Mutual UFO Network, if you know who the, the big UFO people are and you know, if you know all the abduction stuff and if you can wax eloquently about Roswell and you have strong opinions on UFOs and nuclear bases and these sorts of things that have come up in the past and and then a Randlesham Forest. And if you know what I'm talking about with all those things, then none of this stuff is new. But for you know, Joe the plumber or the, the little old lady down the street who's just watching the news, 
they they may never have seen this before at least and it, or if they've seen it it's always been laughed off and and mocked and and suddenly it's not now you've got major news organizations and senators and congress people talking in very serious tones about unidentified flying objects unknown phenomena alien craft and alien bodies or non-human craft non-human bodies the other phrase that's been coming up a lot with this whole conversation is a non-human intelligence which is not the same thing as artificial intelligence which was our last episode if you haven't heard our ai episode that was the last topic we did go back and, and listen to that one uh, people seem to be appreciating it but non-human intelligence means some other intelligence from some other source that is not a human source and not created by humans while ai you know is a, a human of origin because we you know we built the ais this would be something not built by humans so in other words an alien intelligence they're just trying not to say the word alien when it comes to all this so that's what what's been going on it's all over the place this month and as dan mentioned uh, and here we are you know june of end of june of 2023 this was i think came out june 5th ish something like that as Dan mentioned, it's picking up some momentum and more and more people are coming forward. The question is, is this true, pure whistleblowing? Is this guy really saying everything he wants to say? Or is he being fed information? Or is this disinformation? You know, is this a psyop or a psychological operation by the intelligence agency? Are they trying to get the public to believe something? What's really going on here? Who's really behind it? Is he a legitimate and valid source? Should he be taken seriously at face value, or should he be dismissed as just you know an, another figure being offered up to the public? to say some things that will get everybody, you know, waving their hands in the air. What he has not done, and this is significant, he has not produced documents. He, he has not, uh, you know, WikiLeaked anything. Uh, there are no, you know, hard drives of gigabytes or terabytes of data with a bunch of schematics and pictures and, and stuff that he hasn't done anything like that. He's just come forward and said, this is what I know. There's no hard evidence behind any of it. He comes from a place of authority, so it's certainly worth taking what he says very seriously. But it's not the same thing as, uh, you know, as, as some of the whistleblowers, you know, Julia is saying, and some of these people we've had in the past who have said, Here, here's a whole bunch of ugly stuff that you're never supposed to see. And now it's public and the cat's out of the bag and we can never get it back into the bag. So it's a much more contained whistleblowing, I guess, in, in some ways. And some people are using that against him and some people are still taking it seriously. So uh, let, let's, Dan, I'll, I'll pass it back to you. May, maybe just discuss a little bit of what you know the 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 pros and cons of what he's saying and and what i want to try to give to our audience is you know what's what does mr bibelon think about this uh, not that there's an official position but you know what what's the what's the discussion that we've been having a little bit behind the scenes with some of the co-hosts or people that you know of you know who is this guy is he valid is he is he somebody what do you think about what he's saying and you take it you know we'll take it with a grain of salt you can throw your opinions in there um and by the way every you know dear listeners we we reserve the right to be wrong on any of this this stuff is developing quickly uh it's obfuscated there's a lot of misinformation and we don't, we don't know where we're wrong. We're trying to match this stuff up with the, the biblical narrative and say, okay, based on what we know from scripture, what makes sense and how does that apply to the modern era? And it's a really, really hard task. It's really hard to untangle. So we certainly have thoughts and opinions and positions, but we're not telling you what to think. We're telling you 
some of what we've arrived at and some of what we've learned and some of what you should be considering or what we think you should be considering in some of these uh, with some of these hard topics. Um, but we're not saying that we have all the answers because we just don't. There's no way to know. Um, we can guess, we can speculate, we can wonder, we can believe, and I can believe something sincerely and turn out to be sincerely wrong. So just putting that out there. So Dan, feel free to share your your thoughts, your opinions, you know, stand on a soapbox if you want to and say, this is what it is. And here, you know, here's, here's, here's what everybody should think about David Grush. And if it turns out it's wrong, we won't hold it against you. <laughs> yeah. Well, so I'm not going to take a real strong position because, um, you know, I've, I've been reading some different things about him and people do tend to take strong positions. And really with a lot of the stuff we've talked about in the podcast so far, it's stuff where people will often take a really strong position, but is often something that's ultimately speculation, which is, you know, part of why we bring every episode back to Jesus, because that's where the speculation ends and there's, and there's a real rock and truth that we can stand on. And so we'll, you know, we'll do that again here, but you know, as, as far as, um, you know, is this guy legit? I mean, he, his credentials seem to check out, um, the things he's saying are things that have been said before, as Joel mentioned, uh, you know, one article, you know, so as much as, as this stuff is becoming mainstream and like, you know, Congress is looking at it, there's still people, uh, and I read an article this week about just talking about how the whole thing is just ridiculous and completely made up. And a couple of the, their major points was they were saying, if, you know, if, if, if there's, a, a race of beings out there with such advanced technology as as would seem to be the case that there's there, there's two big issues one there's no way we could reverse engineer anything and so i i look at that and i'm like okay uh, on the one hand yeah maybe maybe you couldn't really reverse engineer their software but if i don't know it, it doesn't seem ridiculous to be able to reverse engineer certain parts of what they do or technologies that they, that they do, or, you know, materials that they have and realizing that they're not materials that we have and figuring it out. So, you know, to say that we could reverse engineer something that's significantly more advanced doesn't seem crazy um, on, on its surface. Uh, another big issue they have is that, you know, if these crazy advanced vehicles that can go, you know, 20,000 miles an hour and turn on a dime and dive into water at high speed and not break apart, you know, if they're this advanced, then why would they ever crash? And I'm like, okay, that's, that's a valid point. Uh, but as I was thinking about that and some of the stuff we've talked about in the podcast with, you know, with talking about how there is extraterrestrials in the Bible, as far as there's angels, which are by definition extraterrestrial and intelligent, you know. So if there's if there's good factions and bad factions out there, uh, then having some crash once in a while does not seem crazy, because I mean maybe they're not just crashing because of a malfunction but uh, maybe they're crashing because they're getting shot down by each other. You know, so, I mean, that that also doesn't seem 
like something that would rule it out altogether in my mind. Um, but, you know, as far as this particular whistleblower, I don't know. I haven't looked into it enough to, to form a really strong opinion. But uh, where, where do you stand, Joel? Uh, that's a good question. <laughs> um, so I can't, I have a hard time separating the, this David Grush situation from the, from Lou Elizondo. Uh, for those of you who don't know, Lou Elizondo was almost a softer whistleblower version who came up, uh, who went public not that long ago. I'm trying to think out loud of, of exactly when it was, uh, probably late 2018, 2019 and started becoming really outspoken in 2020 and 2021. Um, he was on the history channel and the, and he was another guy. Uh, so yeah, I think in late 2020 is, is when he started to get really public. But Lou Elizondo was another guy who kind of came out of the intelligence apparatus of the U S and sort of put himself out there as, Hey, I'm telling you all, you guys all pub I'm publicly saying a bunch of stuff that you're not really supposed to know. And he was saying this stuff on mainstream media. I mean, on, on Tucker Carlson, he said on live TV that the federal government has recovered uh, uh, crashed aircraft of non-human origins. That, so, so, the, so that's out there. That's in the zeitgeist. It's not, so that, that's what I mean when I say this isn't new. This stuff has, has been said before. He didn't give as much detail, but he's been you know, endlessly interviewed and promoted in History Channel and this and that. So it, to me, it feels a little bit similar because you have David Grush, who is being a little bit more specific and a little bit more sensational, but comes somewhat from a, a similar background, maybe a little bit cleaner background in some ways. But he's just kind of going out and saying this stuff that, like I said, if anybody's been paying attention, it's been said. And, and the name that's been coming up more and more recently is the name Bob Lazar. If you don't know who Bob Lazar is, it, it's worth knowing if you're going to follow these topics at all. Bob Lazar uh, was more of what I think a real whistleblower sounds and looks like. He, in the, he claims that in the late 1980s, he was hired by the federal government to reverse engineer alien technology. He wrote a book about it called Dreamland. It's a, it's a good read. Uh, read it. It's a good book. I enjoyed it. And um, he was a guy who was saying all this stuff, you know, to use the uh, the hipster phrase. He was saying this before it was cool. I mean, he was saying this in the, I don't know when Dreamland was punished I, I, or published. Sorry, I can um, I can try and and pull that up. But he, by all intents, appears to be an extremely qualified guy uh, as a physicist. And, and he was saying that they were reverse engineering alien technology. And he was saying, look, here's my job. Here's what I did. Here's where I was. Here's where I worked. Here's the places. Here's the, the locations. Here's the specific things we worked on. And he, it seemed like as a whistleblower, you know, Bob Lazar got completely trashed. He, his life went extremely downhill after he came out and said these things. All of his educational records appear to have been completely wiped out. So some, so critics will say, oh, he has no education. Well, he sure seems to. With the, He seems to know a lot of stuff, but you, you can't find his education records. You can't find his employment records. Everything's just gone. He's been arrested left, right, and center for a bunch of stuff that people that are may or may not be criminal activity. Um, you know, he's and he's been a, a charged with stuff that was never really convicted of anything. Um, and the stuff he was convicted of was 
kind of silly, like, oh, you you were moving a substance from one state to another and you didn't have the right license and now you're a criminal. You know, stuff where, okay, yeah, follow the rules. But but that, but if you go pull up the guy's Wikipedia page, you're going to see like he's just – and Wikipedia, keep in mind, is a, a very – a very agenda driven source for those of you who don't know that sorry to burst your bubble but it is and he's just he's just shredded on wikipedia and has been for a long time however more and more it seems like the stuff he's been saying is true and i have yet to see anybody definitively discredit bob lazar and i've told people in the past in conversations about ufos that i i, I believe bob lazar i think what he's saying is is correct maybe i'm wrong that's okay but if I had to say yes or no to Bob Lazar, I would say yes. I think what he's saying is valid to the best as best as he can. But he was doing that back in the '80s, where being a true whistleblower meant taking real risks. I'm looking at Lou Elizondo and David Grush and saying, what risk exactly are they taking? David Grush is retired now; he's a household name, and everybody wants to talk to him. He's not gone to, and maybe it's because of the whistleblower protections. But the, the guy, he hasn't gone to jail. He hasn't been. As far as I know, he's not hiding under a rock and, you know, and it's un with a security detail somewhere. It, he just seems pretty casual and relaxed, similar to Lou Elizondo, who became, you know, a UFO celebrity through his uh, and probably got, all, as far as I can tell, probably a lot of good paying gigs and is probably a consultant on any project he wants to be in this entire space. And, and, and yet they're claiming to be saying a bunch of stuff that extremely powerful organizations don't want them to say. So that makes me skeptical say it seems like they're it seems like they have some level of permission to be getting away with saying the things that people that, that they're saying and it seems like it's not as upsetting to the sources that they're claiming um and so i'm one so that leads me to conclude that or, or leads me to suspect i can't conclude but it leads me to suspect that there's a high degree of intentionality behind these whistleblowing claims that doesn't mean that they're completely false it doesn't mean that everything David Grush is saying is wrong. Like I said, it, it lines up. It, it actually v verifies uh, the same narrative that Bob Lazar was saying, and I do believe Lazar. So I don't. I, so I do believe a lot of the stuff that David Grush is saying. But what I am extremely suspicious of are the conclusions that are being drawn from it and the spin that's being put on it, because it's a uh, it's feeding very much into the narrative of extraterrestrials. Um, Darwinian evolved extraplanetary forces, um, th th just, you know, this, this whole ET alien thing of, oh, these are aliens from other planets that are affecting the human species. And this, and it's kind of like, we're poising for this big leap forward, and, but there's this threat out there. And, um, I, I I'm suspicious. I, I, I think that the narrative behind it all is probably being, uh, extremely manipulated because biblically, I don't think that's what's going on. I think these are uh, of very old origin. Um, I think this stuff is much closer to home. Uh, I, I think there probably was some interplanetary involvement once upon a time, although probably not uh, not currently because that seems that war seems to have happened a long time ago and there seems to be a lot of uh, dead dead planet activity out there in our solar system. And as far as I know, other solar systems, I don't know. I mean, I've, I've said before, when you look biblically, it's when the Bible, especially the Old Testament, when it talks about the heavens, it talks about them as though they're alive. And I don't think that's purely symbolic. I think there's literally, uh, you know, living forces and non-human intelligences that are identified with the heavens. And we've you've heard that if you've been listening to this for any time. But it's not 
the ET narrative. It's not little green men from some distant planet have discovered us and are showing up to either be enemies or friends and there might be another species from another planet. I, I think that stuff is really, really convenient if you're part of the defense apparatus. It's really convenient if you are peddling the Darwinian narrative. And it's really convenient if you want to set up consolidation of a singular world government under a proposed alien threat. And I think that that is probably more accurately described biblically as the Antichrist period that I think we're approaching. And I think the idea of an alien threat is a really convenient idea. So I'm not saying David Grush or Lou Elizondo are, you know, Antichrist puppets or anything like that. But I am saying that it, it the fact that this singular narrative seems to be, um, you know, demonstrated and reinforced. And then you go back to, you, you do take that in the context of some of the, the laughable stuff that was going on with the, the Chinese spy balloons a while back. And we're shooting them down with these 1970s missiles and, oh, maybe, maybe they're UFOs. And by the way, there's no debris and no, nobody has any idea where they are. So let, and so that, and that story just completely disappeared after a little while. I, I don't you know sound like I'm you know, putting on my tinfoil hat as we speak, but we have to put all this into context. We have to look at the bigger, like what, what is going on? How is the zeitgeist shifting? What is being fed to media consumers in the U S and what's being told? Well, there's a few common things. One is that there are, uh, you know, highly advanced species, not from earth and that, uh, they're, that they've been, involved with earth but are ahead of us but we've been trying to catch it behind the scenes and all the secrecy and lies have been for your own good so that's one thing um, that you know that that we that we've been trying to catch up on this technology so that we can defend earth because there's a threat and it's a and it's might be a non-human threat but we don't really know meanwhile you know please don't be upset with the fact that we've been extracting money to the private sector uh, probably to the tune of trillions upon trillions of dollars to to do this, that there may be extremely advanced technologies that could have been real nice for humanity to have had for a long time that, that haven't been disclosed, that there are probably a very small group of people who have consolidated a tremendous amount of wealth and power as a result of these things. But please ignore all that because this is all for your own good. And if you will just let us be in charge, we'll save you from the threat. So that's a, li a little bit of a rant there, but th that's the narrative that's being put together. That's the narrative you see from uh, kind of to the Stars Academy or TTSA and, uh, uh, you know, so the who Lou Elizondo has has worked with. And um, it, again, we don't have time to go into and unpack all that stuff. But so there, there's a, a, a secular narrative that's being very carefully detailed around all this. And I become really suspicious of any quote unquote whistleblower who's just feeding exactly into that, even if the the facts are accurate. What they mean, I don't think is necessarily accurate because we're always going to come back to the biblical perspective. And the biblical perspective is there's nothing that's outside the purview of the creator and that this uh, conflict between non-human beings has been going on for a very long time and that to some extent humanity is at the center of it. And there's a reason that God became human and that there's something very high stakes happening around the planet Earth and around humanity, and that we're largely ignorant to main portions of it, but we're not ignorant to Christ, and Christ is going to be the answer and going to be the victor in all this. I get a lot more interested when I hear whistleblowers or researchers saying, 
you know, the really weird thing about this is this is the 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 supernatural stuff that we really can't explain. It's not just how does a craft make a ninety degree turn at four thousand miles an hour. That, that, that phys, there are physics that can explain that, and you know you have to warp space time to do it, and that's what's been claimed all along. Bob Lazar's been saying that for a long time, and so have many other uh, researchers and, and other people. Um, but what the, the more interesting stuff is when people start finding stuff that really kind of lines up with the biblical narrative, and it becomes a, a much more um, spiritually eerie discussion at that point. And that's where I think we're, I think that's what's really going on. I think there's a, a high elements of uh, demonic, satanic activity, but also some, uh, you know, servants of the most high God that are involved in these sorts of things. And, and by the way, none of that is anything new. It's been going on for thousands of years, but it seems to be coming to the surface in some ways. I, I think it's not uh, unrelated to the rise of, of uh, satanic and occult worship in in uh, Hollywood and in in the major influence centers and you know the open Satanism that we're seeing if you're as, as you've heard us talk about it and other things I I think that th that's going to continue I heard and I'll and Dan you 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 know what I'm referring to and then I'll I'll be quiet for a minute and let you share any additional thoughts. I heard a, a, an intelligence, former intelligence operative being interviewed on this very subject. And it there was a section of the interview that was really, really eerie because what he said, I realized as I was listening to it is this is a preview of antichrist rhetoric. This is what we're listening to because this is what this guy said. Now, this is a guy who comes out of the intelligence community. Uh, he was speaking about these things and he was dismissing David Grush and Lou Elizondo as basically puppets. And he, but but he wasn't dismissing the, the you know the the topics by any means. He was saying no, these guys are puppets. They're manipulated. That's his opinion, and he's entitled to it. And he, what he was um, saying is, there's absolutely uh, advanced intelligences out there, and there is a conflict going on. And and he has reasons from his own experience and sources to believe this. And maybe we maybe we'll link to the interview if I can find a good uh, you know clean link for it. But then he went on to say something that I was chilling, and. Um, and I don't think he meant it to be, but for Christians, it should be very chilling. What he said was something along the lines of, you know, the big crying tragedy here is that religious nuts are going to manipulate this conversation. And when we have non-human intelligences show up, then somebody's going to say, oh, those are from heaven. And you're going to have people who will betray their species and betray their country because they're going to think that that uh, extraterrestrial they're seeing is in the name of Jesus or is from something that they've been told in Sunday school is heaven. And those people are going to be, you know, holding back humanity. And, and that's just a terrible tragedy that there's going to be all these uh, clueless, brainless idiots that are, uh, that, that are getting um, manipulated by this stupidity of religion to not really see what's going on. And, I'm listening to this guy who, who's a very well-spoken and, and highly informed guy and going, oh, wow, that's, I guess that's what we got to be prepared for is if and when, or when something shows up and it's not an if, it is a win, scripturally, it says it's a, it's a win, when non-human entities are on the scene and some of them are, are at conflicting agendas with others, and biblically, we can identify who's who and say... 
this one seems to be uh, on the side of Christ and that one seems to be antichrist. Well, the, the secular narrative is how pathetic that these uh, religious losers think this has anything to do with their scripture when really this is about the advancement of the human species and has, and, you know, and your religion is stupid. And, and it's, it's frustrating and sad and shocking and upsetting that that's probably what we should be expecting. You know, that, that, that we're going to be the, the weirdos saying, Hey guys, this is in the Bible. It's right here. And it's, it's all there. And, and it's been very clearly forecasted. Um, now Alberino, we're talking about, I'm, I'm mentioning Alberino because we are going to get a little bit into the birthright conversation, but, um, you know, he he asserts that the closer we get to the end, then the more there's going to be the rise of the con- what he's coined apotheotheism, which is um, not an atheism. It's not that there is no God, but it's this kind of redefining as man can become like God. So it's going to feel very secular and very religious at the same time because it's going to be talking about the the ascension of man and how how you know man becomes self-serving and throws off this concept of god and it's very possible that what we think of as god and jesus and angels are just going to be you know the are are going to be positioned as well no that, that's just the enemy invading alien force and we don't like those guys because they're trying to put us in all kinds of behavioral and moral handcuffs. And we need to follow these other guys over here. They have our real best interests in mind. And, and so, and the, and the people who are saying that are going to be following the antichrist. So the Christ and the antichrist, you're either following Christ or you're following something else, which is antichrist. Um, so I'm floating that out there because it's, that's the kind of conversations that are being had right now. And then again, you know, a few years ago, that was, that was not mainstream stuff. And now it is. So, um, so David Grush, um, it's these. I think it's very convenient. I don't think he's wrong. He may be sincere, but the the fact that his life seems to be getting better as a result of, and his situation seems to be improving as a result of apparently, you know, claiming to go against extremely powerful authorities, I find that very suspicious. May, maybe it's true that our Congress and this Whistleblower Protection Act is just that good. It could be. I just kind of doubt it. So I, I believe that there's some level of manipulation behind this. That doesn't mean that we should ignore what he's saying. I think it's still it's still a really, really big freaking deal that the mainstream news is carrying stories for the first time in most of our lifetimes about uh, the validity of UFOs, of non-human craft and of uh, non-human bodies and reverse engineering of technology and taking those things very seriously. That's something, that level of disclosure, to use the, the pop term for in the, in the ufologist field, that, that level of disclosure was something that many people thought would not happen for a very, very long time. But here we are. The question is, what, what does it mean and what are they trying to do with it? So Dan, I'll, I'll step aside for a moment and let you add any final thoughts there. Uh, and then we could move along to the uh, I mean, we can stay here as long as you want. I mean, the recording's free, but uh, if, you, <laughs> yeah, uh, if you want to share anything we, and I'll uh, window dress it if I come up with anything, otherwise we can move along to the Alberino discussion when you're ready. Yeah, I mean, one final thought here is uh, you, you mentioned quickly about the the push towards a one world government that, that this would help with. And, you know, there's been studies before done to, you know, figure out what would, what would it take to really create a one world government? 
And one of the things you really need for that is a common enemy that the world would have to band together to, to, to fight or overcome. You know, one of those common enemies is the climate. Uh, another popular common enemy is some sort of uh, alien invasion that you, you have to band together to, to take on. So, you know, that that's it it's it's convenient and um a one world government is another thing that's being talked about you know like nobody's even trying to hide it that that's that that is an agenda for a powerful group of people out there and uh, and that is that is part of the goal well it's uh, it's not just and it, it's been very thoroughly previewed uh yeah in 1987 ronald reagan said that in front of the un and he basically said, you know, I think we'd find that uh, we have a lot fewer differences and we could all unite globally if there was some sort of alien threat that became public. And, and there's a lot of people picking apart those words saying, what did he know? Because presumably yeah. he, he knew some things because there was a lot going on in the 1980s around this stuff. But he said that in front of the UN and some people would say he was wishing for it. Um, I don't think he was wishing for it so much as he was acknowledging something that he knew to be true. Uh, but just it, that just wasn't the time that that was being enacted. Yeah, but I'd say we, we can move on to birthright. And and by the way, this stuff is not um, in any way. These topics are not divorced. Uh, I, I think it's interesting to. Um, I think it's interesting how how frequently this stuff is current. I've I've had people contacting me who uh, know about Mystery Bible on and are saying, boy, I, I, you must feel like a, a genius because everything you're talking about is suddenly all over the news. And it, it, the funny thing is like, it hadn't even crossed my mind. It was just like, well, I've, I feel like I've been saying this stuff for a long time. I know Dan's been hearing me rant about it for years, you know, and, and it's because <laughs> other people have been saying it and I've been you know following them and learning from them. And, um, and so it, it doesn't feel new. It feels almost inevitable. Uh, it, but there, it's interesting to keep in mind that there, there are plenty of people out there who have never really thought about this before. And really, you know, really just in the last couple of years, it's the first time it's ever crossing their mind that, Maybe there are maybe there's a such thing as a non-human intelligence out there, or maybe there is a such thing as an extraterrestrial. And what would that be? And then suddenly going, the Bible kind of says that. And you get these light bulb moments, and then and then there's a UFO headline and people, and it's, you know, it feels like a complete paradigm shift. And I'm not I'm not downplaying that at all. I I've thought several times recently of the yeah, I'm gonna pull up the verse uh, here so I don't get it wrong if you bear with me. Um when you look at the the verse in the Bible, um, specifically from Daniel, I think it's right around chapter twelve. Oh, it's so it's Daniel. There's a prophecy that Daniel sees in Daniel chapter twelve, and he is told to shut up and seal that book, and he's told by God to seal it until the time of the end, where many shall run to and fro, and knowledge shall increase. That's a marker of the time of the end. And he says the book should be shut up until then. I don't know what book it is, and I'm not sure specifically what that's referring to. But that that phrase of, and knowledge shall increase at the end, is a phrase that has been kind of gonging around in my head and you know, off and on for the last several weeks of it's like, the, there are a lot of people's eyes that are opening right now. And I, I, I wonder if this is the kind of knowledge increase we're talking about, where suddenly there's a huge swath of society that's suddenly going, 
oh, wait, we're not the only thing here. There's a lot more going on out there. And, and there's a subset of that swath of society that's saying, man, this really looks a lot like what the Bible's been talking about. I, it feels like knowledge is increasing. I feel, it feels like my knowledge is increasing. I feel like I'm, you know, dramatically more cognizant to to these things and, and reading my Bible differently than I was reading it five years ago. Um, and, and I think I would argue better. Uh, I think I have a, a much better understanding of the major themes of scripture than I had several years ago. And I think it's not because of studying UFOs. It's just that w- UFOs start to make a lot more sense when you understand your Bible. So it's because of studying the Bible and taking the Bible seriously and and the stuff that we talk about here, like the Heiser stuff and and um, and just going down the rabbit holes and, uh, you know, going on a kick that I did for a while of, of not reading anything unless it's at least 3000 years old and trying to get back in touch with that stuff, which is exactly where we're going with the Alperino discussion tonight, that suddenly we're going, I feel like my knowledge has really increased and I feel like I understand what's going on with humanity and human history and and what the what the bible is trying to tell us about these things i feel like i have a much much better understanding of it now i don't think i'm the only one i i feel like many people are getting that understanding and we're trying to share that and increase it and i i just that phrase knowledge shall increase just keeps coming back to me over and over from daniel chapter 12 uh 12 4 is what i found when i looked it up just now so dan i don't know if you relate to that or have any similar comments on that, but it really, really feels like there's some kind of shift going on and the the spotlight of things that are extremely relevant to scripture in the end times is is just so much brighter than it was even a few years ago. And if, if you disagree, let me know. I don't think you do, but uh, anything to add there and then we'll, we'll launch into Alvarino. Yeah. Well, I mean, all, all along, like scripture has been clear that, that, that God's existence is clear just by looking around. And I think just the, the way the world is going, uh, it seems like battle lines are being drawn more and more. Uh, there's more and more just kind of undeniable stuff. I mean, you have things like people on national TV um, blatantly worshiping Satan. You have mainstream stores like target having uh selling apparel designed by satan worshipers and um so it's it's a crazy time with with knowledge increasing with with knowledge about things that seemed like conspiracy theories um now just being thrown in your face and uh yeah it's a crazy time yeah it's a it is a it is a, a time to be alive, and I have no idea what the world's going to look like in three years or five years, but I, I firmly believe that it's going to look very different than it looks now, but I don't know exactly how because it's all changing so quickly. Some things will look the same, and I, I'm also remembering a lot of what Jesus says where he says, you know, at the end, it, it'll be like the days of Noah. They will be marrying and giving in marriage, and now I have a lot more specific thoughts on who's going to be marrying who and, and or who's going to be marrying what and uh, marrying and giving in marriage. It basically there's going to be all kinds of celebration and it's going to be this age of prosperity in one way, but another way there, and this is again, relevant to our discussion tonight. Another way that that golden age of prosperity was the age that demarcated the period right before the flood, right before the disaster where God said, no, this is not what, uh, what I have in mind for humanity. So that brings us to, Timothy Alberino's book, Birthright. Uh, we, in our discussion so far, we've covered eight chapters. Uh, 
ish. Uh, so that we're going to dive into chapter nine, which is titled Atlantis Rising. Depending on the copy you have, whether it's a physical copy or an ebook copy, and my physical copy, it's on page 169. Um, for those of you who haven't followed us, we've been going through uh, Timothy Alberino's book, Birthright. It's, uh, there's a whole series on it. I encourage you to go back and listen. It's a little hard to jump into right in the middle. Um, we'd love to get Timothy Albrino as a guest sometime. He's, he's an interesting author in the space. We've covered many other books and many other authors, but we've been using this one as a particular deep dive just to drive this narrative forward. We're not saying that we agree with every single thing he says, although I think I agree with a lot of things he says, and we're certainly not saying that, you know, this is some new doctrinal foundation. It's not. And, and he was certainly wouldn't say that either, but it's a really helpful book for thinking through, the extraterrestrial questions and the end times and all this stuff from a biblical perspective. It was published in 2020 and um, he's continues to be very active in the, you know, lectures and podcasts and stuff like that. And, and there are many other good books too. Um, just go through our episode list and there are many books in there that we have discussed or mentioned or done episodes on that can also be really, really helpful. And there are more to come. So that being said, when we get into chapter nine, then it kind of kicks off. So the, the chapter is called Atlantis Rising, but that's not where he starts. The, the chapter doesn't begin with talking about Atlantis. The chapter begins with talking about the idea of catastrophism. And we've talked about this a little bit before. And what catastrophism, so when you think about human history, there are two, you can divide two major schools of thought, not just human history, but history of the earth. Uh, when you think about the history of our earth, you can, you can split into two major schools of thought. One of them is uh, uh, uniformism or the, what's a uh, uniformitarianism. You make, let's go ahead and make the word longer. That's the official word, not uniformism, but uniformitarianism. There's, so there's this idea of uniformitarianism and that the, the phrase you always hear is the present informs the past. We look at the way the world is today and we project it backward evenly to understand what the past was like. Then the opposite school is catastrophism, which is you look at the past to understand why the present looks the way it does. And the two differences are the uniformitarianism kind of starts with, well, everything has been mostly the way it is for a very long time. And over very long periods of time, then there have been some changes and that, and that, and it's time and, slow grinding change that allow for Darwinian evolution and all these other things that really explain why the world looks the way it does today on a geological level, on a fossil level, on a biological level. All that comes from these eons upon eons of slow, steady shifting and, you know, tens of, you know, millions and tens of millions, in some cases, hundreds of millions. And if we need billions of years, we'll throw some billions in there to kind of get to today. And that's the way everything looked. And it's only been, you know, slow grinding ever since, or, or you know, as far back as you go. I'm oversimplifying it, but that's uniformitarianism. That is the prevailing academic secular mindset. And we'll talk about why that is shortly. The other side of that conversation is catastrophism. And what catastrophism says is there have been extremely violent upheavals that have completely reshaped and twisted the planet and completely interrupted or, or disrupted 
um, species development and planetary development and all these things. It was said whether whether evolutionarily or not, like that the, there were times where the world there were times not so long ago, not millions of years ago, but maybe tens of thousands of years ago, where the world looked completely different, and then there were huge upheavals in between. And there are lots of theories about what those are that completely changed everything. And um, that is not to the secular narrative. And in fact, the second, you know, the, the secular academic side of the, of the aisle uh, for, for whatever reason, and again, like I said, we'll discuss it, but they, they, they hate that narrative because it, it calls into question the whole evolutionary concept, but catastrophism versus uniformitarianism and uh, Dan, I'll hand it over to you to, to give your commentary and, and thoughts on that and what, what Alberino, the point Alberino is trying to make in the early parts of this, uh, of this chapter nine. Yeah. So um, he starts out basically just talking about the flood and how the flood has really been an accepted and known part of, of history until very recently. And so he talks about the idea of geological uniformitarianism um, was really not even an idea until uh, the year 1830 when this geologist Charles Lyell published a book where that was that was his theory that he was going off of and uh, and then to put Charles that in perspective Bowen, by the way Darwin was what 1859 I think is when Origin of Species came out yeah so Darwin was a big fan of Lyell because basically both of these theories needed vast amounts of time to even begin to make sense. And, and, you know, you, you get rid of the, the biblical flood. It starts to open up some of those ideas a little more. Uh, and so, and, and that's, so part of what that does is really is a, an effort to undo the whole biblical narrative like to, you know, get rid of the flood and say, no, there wasn't really a flood. And, you know, people, there wasn't creation. It was just, this has all just happened slowly and gradually over millions and billions of years. Um, but, but so the very first part of this chapter is about just how much the, the flood was just an understood part of, of humanity and that there's flood stories uh, from the, there's hundreds of flood stories from all over the world, all sorts of different cultures. Uh, and, and it wasn't really ever called into question until 1830. There's a quote that I underlined on page 172 that says before Lyle or Lyell, it's L Y E L L. And he wrote, uh, the book he called, he wrote is called principles of geology. And that's that book, 1830. Um, before Lyell, the doctrine of catastrophism was universally accepted as plain fact. Today, it is roundly rejected in the scientific community, not because it has been refuted. Indeed, evidence in support of the doctrine mounts by the day, but because it undermines the theory of evolution and is therefore regarded with contempt. So, th and that, that really captures kind of the, the first part of what this is about the point that Alberino is making is every culture for the all known history of humankind and prehistory of humankind agrees that there was that there were major catastrophes and they all seem to overlap on this idea of the flood and that seemed to be 
a pretty good reason to take that seriously. Not to mention, there's a tremendous amount of geological evidence that if you, and I, I'm not trying to sound like a jerk when I say this, but like if, if, you, if you're intellectually honest and open-minded about what the world looks like and what some of the geological history or what some of the geological evidence looks like, catastrophism just rises to the top. It really, really, really looks like the earth was um, went through some some brutal events that included massive forces of sudden deluges of water at one point. And there are that's not discussed in the book, but there are there's all kinds of evidence for that that secular geologists just have a really hard time explaining. There are things like um, bent layers of crust in the earth. It's just stuff that should not form over time, but would have to be wet and soft and form very quickly and harden. You have the the entire uh, uh, fossil record or the entire uh, geological stack is in sediment. And sediment is layers of rock that are set down in, by water. Then you get the idea of the whole fossil record. You know, you get these these fossils that are in places where they shouldn't be and fossils that are uh, preserved in extremely rapid states that shouldn't be possible. You have uh, woolly mammoth fossils in Siberia that were literally, or, or not just fossils, but frozen specimens of woolly mammoths that were frozen with food in their mouths. We have fossils of um, of dinosaurs in the in the act of giving birth, and yet uniformitarianism would say no, no, fossils take tens of thousands of years to form, but they ignore things like fossils, uh, you know, fossilized forests that happened within a matter of years after the eruption of Mount St. Helens. They ignore the fact that we found fossils of uh, everything from miners' hats to teddy bears. Uh, they ignore things like the 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 carbon dating of of um, coal uh, seams being identical around the world and there's no reason they should all match to the same time frame but they do uh, and carbon dating in and of itself has some issues because it kind of has to assume that certain things have been extremely uniform over a period of time and that's to some extent that's very helpful but there's another extent where you have to make a lot of assumptions around it so we have all kinds of things. And I, I've just rattled off a few that I could think of off the top of my head. You know, there's a, uh, there's a cave in Maryland where you've got a whole bunch of uh, bones of animals that should be from different periods that are all jumbled up together. And then you've just, then you've, you know, I was at the Grand Canyon recently and it just doesn't make sense when you stand at the Grand Canyon, look at it, your eyes don't tell you that the, that little tiny green ribbon of Colorado River down there just did this over millions of years. You look around, you're like, you know, this really looks like something really big happened a while ago. And there's some really weird stuff about the Grand Canyon, too, that doesn't get talked about a lot. Did you know there are no dinosaur bones in the Grand Canyon? No dinosaur fossils? None. Never found one in the Grand Canyon. Um, the, the, the human history there is very, very strange. Um, it's very hard to follow. It doesn't seem to line up with other things with the areas. And the Grand Canyon is just one example. There are many canyons uh, and, and many rivers that have um, that have river beds that are way wider than that river should rightfully have. Then you have other fossils that are really hard to explain, like uh, fossilized footprints, um, even human footprints. And, and we all know that if, if you or I go step in the mud, it's not there several years later. That's not how it works, especially if you're in an area where there's a lot of water. It disappears quickly, yet we have fossilized footprints. So what that what that tells us is 
these fossilization things happen a lot a lot more rapidly uh, than we think and it has a lot more to do with the circumstances of what's going on than with this really crazy time period so i know i'm being a little disjointed and a little jumbled as i'm attacking this idea of uniformitarianism but what alberino is trying to say in the early part of this chapter is that uh, is that catastrophism has always been the common sense explanation and it's supported by all the prehistoric cultures and the historic cultures until suddenly right around the 1830s you had these guys say no no, no we're going to go with a completely different narrative all those prehistoric cultures were a bunch of fools they don't know anything and we're just going to say that we're the apex of that, that we humans are the apex of millions and millions of years of evolution and hundreds of thousands of years of, of human and homo sapien development we're going to make no effort to explain what was going on for tens of thousands of years. And we're just going to say that uh, it's all just been this slow grind. And the good news is we can throw out the Bible. We can throw out the creation concept. We can throw out uh, any, you know, in, in any re religious, in any religion that has history to it, that we can throw all that out and say, it's all science, science, science. And we're going to codify that in the American institutions and anybody who disagrees with it is not going to be taken seriously as any kind of scholar whatsoever. And that's what happened starting in the mid 1800s, in the middle of the 19th century, uh, especially with Darwin. And it became this narrative that was just forced onto the, the Western public. And, and many of us who have been around for a little while, like it's easier today to question evolution than it was um, 20 years ago. Uh, look at uh, Graham Hancock's recently, uh, you know, and, and that guy's been <laughs> flayed and raked over the coals quite a bit, but he had a, a Netflix series recently that is not biblical. I, I, well, you could say it's very biblical, but he doesn't acknowledge that it's biblical um, that really calls into question the whole uniformitarianism concept and, and makes the case that there is that there at one point was a very advanced civilization on earth that was destroyed in some kind of catastrophe. Again, very relevant to our conversation tonight. So he makes a really good case for it. Um, and I've listened to, I, I don't have Netflix, so I haven't seen that particular documentary, but I've listened to a lot of Graham Hancock stuff and read a lot of his stuff and, and I know what he's about and I know the kind of things that he says and the case that he makes and I've seen some clips of it. So I feel like I'm speaking with some authority that I, I know where he's coming from with it. And I think he makes a really good case for it. The fact that that's even on a major network and available is is a coup. That, that wouldn't have happened many years ago, um, a decade ago. It just would have been shouted down and shut down. And, and he's been through plenty, but, and Dan, maybe you can speak to it. What, what do you think? My, my daughter, when I was mentioning, mentioning what we were discussing tonight, she said, and she goes to a, she's has some really wonderful teachers, but when I mentioned, um, oh, we're going to be talking about catastrophism, you know, she's going into the seventh grade. She goes, oh, we spent a whole month on catastrophism and uniformitarianism and all the evidence for catastrophism in school. I was like, what? I was like the weird kid in the back calling out objections and getting shouted about the teacher, like back in the, you know, the, the answers in Genesis days where it was like, Hey, if you don't accept this Darwinian theory, you know, you're, you're, a, you're a bozo. And th th I mean, that's what I grew up with. And the fact that she's in a public school and, and it, maybe it's unique to her teacher. It seems like the Darwinian narrative is coming apart a little bit and is more easily to be called into question probably for nefarious purposes so that we can enter into, you know, the, our one world government and new UFO overlords uh, or sorry, UAP overlords at this point. And I'm saying that tongue in cheek, but it, it, that there seems to be some kind of shift going on 
Um, but the uh, for a long, long time, it's been uniformitarianism. So that's my rant. I, I can stop there, but Dan, um, feel free to add or move us forward since I'm getting heated up now. <laughs> yeah, the, it, it's kind of amazing how something was accepted for so long and then all of a sudden this new idea comes along and it so hijacked the academic world and, and in turn our culture that, you know, what... You, you mean when uniformitarianism came along, right? it became I mean, the only way to think. Right. For thousands of years, people just accepted the flood and knew that the flood happened. And then all of a sudden, someone says, no, no, it's this other way. And then the culture and the, the academic world falls in line with it so much to the degree that that people who disagree with it or try to say something um, like catastrophism um, get shut down, will will lose their jobs, fear for their jobs. Um, uh, You mentioned Graham Hancock just getting completely uh, torn apart and and discredited and uh, cut down because of the the things he's saying and the things he's saying make a whole lot more sense than the academic line that's being towed. Yeah. Um, he's, he's not spouting nonsense. He's, he's pointing out some really, really thoughtful things that are there. And he's pointing out evidence that a lot of archeologists and geologists just refuse to look at because it completely upends. I mean, anytime something like that comes up or there's some bit of evidence that just goes, well, now we have a problem, then it just it just gets swept away. And one of the things that we'll throw out there is the existence of Gobekli Tepe. If you don't know what Gobekli Tepe is, it's a um, uh, the ruins of a very advanced city in Turkey that is absolutely datable to a time well before any city should be there, according to secular archaeology. Um, I'm going to pull up right now and go back to Tepe. Isn't the internet a wonderful thing when you need it? Um, it's in Anatolia. And what I'm trying to get is the date. It seems like it was abandoned at least uh, between 9,000 and 8,000 BC. So we're talking, you know, 10 to 12,000 years ago, there was this very, very advanced city. And it is extremely advanced the way it's set up and built and it's megalithic and just stuff that all secular archaeologists up until recently would have had to say, was not possible, couldn't exist because mankind didn't know how to make those things at that time because we hadn't followed our evolutionary path far enough and we were, you know, and that's weight, but but it's there. And it's not the only one. There are many, many more too, but that's just an undeniable ones. And I know Graham Hancock talks about that quite a bit as like, well, now you've got Gobekli Tepe and it's a real problem if you are, a, you know, a secular uniformitarianist. So, Sorry, Dan, I, I kind of jumped in there, but I'm trying to make this as practical, get people things to hang their hats on or rabbit holes to go to go uh, go down on their own time. But the the point I was making is Graham Hancock has been, as you were saying, Dan, shredded and and publicly eviscerated. Now, and the guy's also got a Netflix show, so I'm, I'm sure he's not hurting too badly. But um, the he's been uh, now, that was a long time breaked over then. the course. Yes, yes. I mean, he, he had his, he's been. If you go to his Wikipedia page again, like Bob Lazar, his Wikipedia page is resemblant of Bob Lazar of just calling everything into question and his very worth as a human being and whether or not his brain works is all called into question on his Wikipedia page. When 
he's a contrarian. Uh, you know, he's a guy who looks at things and says, maybe it's not what everybody t- is telling me it is. And I'll throw out a, a quick story for this since I'm on a roll here. Um, many years ago, well, not that many years ago, the circ- circa 2010, um, which is weird that that's 13 years ago. Uh, I was a, I was studying uh, venture capital in Israel, and I was able to be spend um, some weeks in Israel. And un, I wasn't there for uh, what I wanted to be there for. It would have been you know biblical studies and that super. And I hope to get back there to do some of that. But I had the great opportunity to spend time there and and get to know their venture capital and business scene and um, really really good experience. I took a whole course there, and while I was there, I was able to do some sightseeing. And one of the things we did is. Uh, I and a few others went over to see, went across the the border of Jordan and uh, went over to see the city of Petra, the ancient city of Petra. And if if you don't know what Petra is, you've seen it. If you've, it's in some of the Indiana Jones movies, it's in some of the uh, uh, Transformers movies. It's just this incredible city that is carved out of rock, just stunning, stunning architecture. And it's, and, and it's in the middle of this desert. And um, the funny thing about it is there's not really any good explanation for why it's there because it's one of those things a little bit like Gobekli Tepe that is extremely inconvenient for the narrative. And so I'm standing, you know, me being the 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 contrarian that I am, I wasn't trying to be contrary. I'm 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 going through this this guided tour of Petra. And just using my own eyeballs, you're, it's easy to tell that what the tour guide is saying is impossible. <laughs> so we're looking, and, and Petra is a lot bigger than people think it is. It's actually, I, I think, hundreds of acres. It's not just like a couple of buildings. There's, yeah, I wandered after after I left the tour. I wandered around and found more. And I mean, I was just crawling over these ancient ruins that were, that were not roped off and kind of like not even inside the. the they were easy to get to. There's just nobody there. So. While we're standing there, we're looking at these these ornate buildings carved into rock, and I'm looking at one, and the one on the left looks very new, and the one on the right looks like it's had about a thousand years of weathering on it, and it just and they're literally you know two meters apart from each other, and you're just looking at them side by side, and one of them is clearly way older than the other, just because it's it's faded, it's it's water damaged over time, and they're in the same hillside. And I'm listening to the tour guide who's saying, oh yeah, these were all built between this very narrow time range. So I'm, I, you know, I'm, I'm the, the jerk who raises my hand. I'm like, wait a second. Why does this one look so much older than the other one? This one looks like it's been here for eons. The other one looks like it's, you know, uh, maybe a thousand years old, but this thing, if that's a thousand years old, this other thing looks like it's 10,000 years old. It just looks like it's been here so much longer. And after like, and, and some of the stuff was just, you know, I was asking just very innocent questions like, huh, that's, and, and, you know, his answer to that was local weather patterns. Like, well, how local is your weather? These things are three meters from each other. And this one, this one has been decimated by, uh, by wind and rain. And the other one looks basically brand new in comparison. So after raising my hand a handful of times with the tour, the tour guy actually said, I'm going to need you to stop asking questions because you're, you're really, you know, and, and I wasn't being, you know, a jerk about it. I was, I was, I was literally expecting that they would have some good answers for some of this stuff. And I was just asking my curiosity questions. And the guy basically was like, your, your ignorance is ruining everybody's time. And, and it was really like this shocking thing. And I, re- I was there with a couple of my classmates and one of them was like, geez, <laughs> you know, was like, like this tour guide got really hostile. 
and was like, you need to sit down and shut up and not ask any more questions. And, and because I was, I was just pointing out stuff that just, I thought was like, well, isn't everybody wondering this? And, and maybe they were, but I was the only one who was willing to say it. And there were several things like where he said, oh, there's this, this area over here is a cemetery, but there was an aqueduct. So I just said, why do they have an aqueduct in the cemetery? And he's like, shut up. It's there. Uh, okay. I was, I just wanted to know, or he said this other area never had any residents in it, but there's an amphitheater. Like, well, what's the amphitheater for if nobody was here? Like, what were they doing? I was just, what'd they do with the amphitheater? And he's like, well, we don't know if that's an amphitheater. Like, well, I'm looking at it. It's definitely an amphitheater. You know, I'm not sure what else it would be. What do you think it is? <laughs> you know? and, and, and he's like, you, you got to stop asking questions. Your ignorance is ruining everybody's time and basically kicked me off the tour. So that, that's my, my, uh, when, when I you know, think of Graham Hancock, I'm like, it's like, it's like that guy's just had that response for decades professionally and personally. You know, I got a little taste of it. Like, how dare you ask these questions about the, the accepted narrative of this place? And I'm just looking around going, that narrative just doesn't seem to make sense with what seems obvious to my ignorant eyeballs as I look around me. I'm just trying to fit it together and wonder what's going on. And I was really shocked by the hostility. It was a hostile response. And, um, and so, you know, you, it, I tucked that away and, and there is a, there's a very real hostility to this stuff. So that's the difference between um, uh, catastrophism and uniformitarianism is when you question the, for whatever reason, when Lyell and Darwin brought up a completely contrarian idea that was totally in the face of, of the, the, the normal narrative, which was, uh, which had in some supernatural elements, had a biblical flood and all these things that, that was so accepted. Somehow they were wholeheartedly accepted and brought into the secular narrative as this is what will be taught from now on. And there will be no questioning of it for a long time. And I think today that's shifting a little bit. So Dan, I'll step out of the way again. I know you were saying some things, but that got me on a rabbit trail. Yeah, you're good. I mean, one more quick comment on on Graham Hancock. It's interesting when you listen to him. If you know, if you were just listening to snippets of what he says, you could think he was talking about birthright, or you could you know could think about talking about things that he, we've talked about on the show. Um, but you know, he's he's seeing a lot of the same things, but he does not have the same worldview. You know, he's if anything, I might say anti-Christian. Yeah, he's he's pretty hostile towards religion yeah. in general. <laughs> yeah, um, but you know, still he's he's seeing a lot of the same things. I, you know, there's times where I listen to him talk, and I'm like, "Do you not hear yourself speaking? Like you are describing the Bible right now." And um, you know, but he doesn't acknowledge that whatsoever. For what that's worth, <laughs> Dan, I'm going to put you on the spot. Can you talk a little bit at all about the uh, the younger Dryas impact theory, it, which is not, and the reason I'm bringing it up, well, you know why I'm bringing it up, but for the audience's benefit, the reason I'm bringing it up is um, I know that this is something that, uh, as Dan pointed out to me, is actually footnoted in this book, in, in the Birthright book, but is not really explicitly called out. But if you listen to it, the more recent material from Timothy Alberino, then he goes into tremendous detail and clearly has been on a kick of the Younger Dress impact theory explains a lot of things. And it's also something that Graham Hancock talks about quite a bit. I'm not, I don't, I'm not saying they follow each other. I, I have no idea. But the point is, 
this theory is gaining more and more momentum. And in 2020, when this book was published, it was a footnote. And now I think if Timothy Alberino was writing this, it would probably, there'd probably be a whole chapter on it would be my guess based on what some of what I've seen from him recently. So what's the Younger Dryas Impact Theory um, as, as you understand it? And what does it have to do with this flood narrative? Well, I'll just, I'll just read that footnote and that might give sure, it Sure, go for it, yeah. It says, um, it is becoming increasingly evident that the surface of the planet was reshaped by a cataclysmic flood about 12,000 years ago at the end of the last ice age called the Younger Dryas when ice sheets in the Northern Hemisphere suddenly melted. So, you know, it's basically describing a global cataclysmic flood uh, that would have just had a hugely destructive um, force on on the earth and um, melting ice sheets and uh, and, and, ex, ex, and ex, a period of um, lots of volcanic activity and uh, explosions and I mean there's theories that it's um, meteors raining down and uh, there's there's a lot more to it than that but that's surface level yeah ex- exactly and thank you for breaking those things up so the theory, the impact theory specifically, is that right around twelve thousand eight hundred ish years ago, then there was a point where the planet Earth passed through the tail of a comet, and there were several chunks of that comet that impacted Earth, and and uh, hit probably in the ice sheet areas, the Arctic ice sheet areas, and these would have been devastating level impacts. I don't mean. Um, extinction level, but they they would have been the equivalent of many nuclear weapons going off simultaneously. And they would have shaken up the atmosphere, uh, superheated sections of it. And by the way, this explains, the reason the theory is gaining momentum is because it really, really explains a lot of things that uniformitarianism doesn't explain, like how you have whole, whole entire herds of of woolly mammoths frozen in seconds in certain parts of the world while you have superheating of other parts of the world. So the theory basically says that there was an impact of multiple um, fragments of comet probably over a pretty short period of time, meaning maybe days or weeks, possibly years, but probably shorter than that as the earth passed through this section of comet. Um, And the reason why that's alarming is because comets are cyclical and so is the earth's orbit. So some people are saying that we're due to pass through it again. And some of that is uh, lines up quite well with some of the um, ancient accounts. There's a lot of ancient uh, historical documentation around this stuff, one of which is Plato. Plato talks about an advanced civilization um, that in, in his Critian uh, writings, he, he talks about an advanced civilization that was wiped off the earth in a catastrophe that occurred 12,800 years ago, pretty much to the exact same point of time. And so, and, and that advanced civilization is Atlantis, which will kind of bring us to our next topic here. So there's a, a, a rising school of thought, and I know Graham Hancock is in it, and Timothy Alberino is also in it, that, and Alberino says, this is the flood. This is the Noahic flood, that there were things that, uh, and, and there's a, probably a combination of things where a combination of impacts and shift of the Earth's crust, potentially as a result of those impacts and splitting of uh, huge reservoirs of, of water that were contained under the crust. All of this came together 
to basically flood the earth. And it happened right around the time frame of Noah. Again, there's some argument about that, depending on whether you have a Bible that's following the Masoretic text versus the Dead Sea Scroll text. We've talked about that stuff in early uh, earlier episodes. But uh, we want to bring that to your attention, because if if you were to ask Alberino today, you know, when was Noah's flood and what caused it, he, he would start talking about, based on what I've seen recently, he would start talking about the, the Younger Dryas impact theory and, uh, and why it's a very interesting theory and why it seems to line up very effectively with Noah's flood. And to be clear, that is catastrophism. <laughs> that, that's, that's a catastrophe of catastrophes that would have reshaped the entire earth. You would have gone from an earth that was largely tropical with some uh, ice caps or with some ice sheets. So you had this ice age where to the north and to the extreme south, there was a lot of ice and everything in between was largely tropical to an earth that is a little more like today where things are are more spread out. There's this bizarre fossil record that we can't seem to sort out. There's a huge water runoffs and massive channeling that happened, uh, huge sediment beds that were that were put together, um, shifting of continents, rapid rising of mountain ranges, and and basically the earth looks completely different post-flood than it did pre-flood. There are other theories around the flood. Um, we can, I know Jason Schott is somebody we could bring back to talk about a theory that he's quite familiar with, um, that uh, he's given me some material on that I think is also very interesting. Um, and maybe I'll link to it in the show notes. But there are other theories that are also very, very good theories. And my conclusion looking at all of them is they're probably all partly right. Um, I don't think any of them is completely wrong because I do believe there was a global flood and I do believe it was in the Noahic timeframe. I don't necessarily feel like we know exactly how, when that was, but when we look at it, something around that timeframe, it sure does seem like there was a very advanced civilization before the flood that was wiped out after the flood. I want to read real quickly a... a quote from the the book of second peter that second uh, peter chapter three that um that alberino brings up in the book and i don't know if he applies it the same way i would which is fine but it's, it's a really thought-provoking quote and and, and we've brought it up before but uh, in second peter chapter three verses three through seven uh th this is the nkjv just because it's at my fingertips here um peter says scoffers will come in the last days walking according to their own lusts and saying, where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation, end quote. For this, they willfully forget that by the word of God, the heavens were of old and the earth standing out of water and in the water by which the world that then existed perished being flooded with water. But the heavens and the earth, which are now preserved by the same word, are reserved for fire until the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. Okay, really weird cryptic passage by Peter there. And the way uh, Tim Alberino uses it in this ch chapter nine of Birthright is kind of pointing out um, the flood. I take a little bit different angle on that and say, well, wait a second. When we get to Genesis 1, you see that the earth is already covered in water. And to me, there it's worth wondering how many was, the, the, so we know the earth was covered with water before. And we've said that uh, when you talk about the gap theory stuff, there's very there's a very good case to be made that there was something on the earth before that. And clearly there was a flood. And then God 
reorganized the earth in the creation narrative in Genesis and separated the waters and uh, separated the land and kind of remade everything out of this Tohu Abohu state. And then you had this uh, advanced civilization rise, and then there was another flood. I don't know which one Peter's referring to in this. Maybe you could argue either one, but he's saying he's saying the scoffers in the last days will say everything's always been the same. You know, that, that's a, that's a version of uniformitarianism. Saying they're saying nothing's really changed, nothing's really happening. There's no catastrophe we have to be aware of, and this silly stuff, the old catastrophes, we don't buy it anymore. But he's saying in that passage I read, they willfully forget that the earth is standing out of water and in the water by which the world that then exists. The question is, is what then perished being flooded with water? And then he says, but today we have heavens and earth that are now preserved by the same word, but they're preserved for fire. And it's interesting that he throws the heavens in there. He, he lumps the heavens and the earth in together that are preserved for fire until the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. So w- wanted to bring that up as uh, one of the places where the Bible kind of ties those things together, the idea of past flood or floods and past catastrophe and future catastrophe and why it's relevant to us. In the midst of that, you have the argument that Alberino is making and, and Dan, I'll hand it back to you to, uh, to talk a little bit about this, that there was some advanced civilization that seemed to be predating the flood that God was specifically targeting the destruction of with the flood, whether it was through the Younger Dryas impact or some other, uh, you know, some other mechanism for the flood. Which, which, by the way, if you're following scientific headlines, there's all kinds of headlines coming out right now. They're like scientists discover that there are massive amounts of water under the Earth's crust, and nobody thought it was there, but it turns out there's more water under the crust than there is above it. By according to some study or another, and it's like, yeah, that the Bible has talked about the fountains of the deep for thousands of years, and now we're just discovering that oh, looks like there's a lot of water down there. So I say that flippantly in passing. <laughs> nice. Um, yeah, so so moving along in the chapter a little bit. So I, uh, if you're following along in the book, we've been going through, this is chapter nine. And so I think we're only going to make it through about half of chapter nine. And then the next time uh, when we have Brian on, we're going to go through the second half of chapter nine and chapter 10 kind of, Mesh together nicely, uh, but you know part of part of where this is going is the flood. You know part of what the flood destroyed was was the golden age, and uh, we talked about this in a previous episode about Atlantis and the golden age, the time when uh, men walked with the gods, and 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 the flood destroyed that, and the flood has been around as a as a reminder of that destruction. Um, but now people want it back. And so the second half of the chapter is going to get into things about uh, people with these goals of, you know, stated goals of bringing the golden age back. And, uh, and, and then that'll tie into uh, some really crazy stuff with um, Lucif- um uh, was basically satanic worship and things like that. Uh, people just blatantly uh, de- denying um, God or not so much denying God as making him an enemy. And so, and, and that ties together with the, re- the reason that's all together in chapter nine, or at least the start of that in chapter nine, is because a lot of those, that 
those um, worldviews kind of got their start um, with with this idea of uniformitarianism and um, and evolution, and where you can start start erasing God by changing the way you see the world and and seeing it in a way that is just gradually building upon itself and and you don't need a creator anymore and you don't need judgment anymore and you know it's just all leads to this worldview that you can do what you want which is what's going to lead into the second half of chapter nine and chapter ten yeah uh, so thanks for putting those things together by the way before i forget one of the other flood theories that i really like the one that jason shot introduced me to recently is hydroplate theory i didn't mention it by name before so if anybody wants to look that up there's a lot of good stuff out there really thoughtful approach to the mechanics of the flood um so yeah so i, I want to split a hair here there's a difference it helps me, and maybe this will help the audience, to think about the difference between Satanism and Luciferianism. Um, and, and I'm, I'm not a, a, you know, a, a highly educated expert in either, and I'm better off for it. But Satanism, my understanding is that if you talk to somebody from the Church of Satan or Satanism in the secular sense, they don't necessarily even believe that Satan exists. It's more of a, of a humanitarianism or a humanism of it, kind of the the do what thou wilt and reject the idea of throw off the idea of God. And they subscribe to this uh, very uh, Darwinian concept in many cases. Contrasted with Luciferianism, which is the the the, the worship of the real devil. And, 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 you know, that is getting into, so when people think of Satanism, a lot of times, you know, when, when your grandma thinks of Satanism, a lot of times what she's actually thinking of is Luciferianism, which is the, the, the blood sacrifice, uh, you know, sex cult worship of, of a, of a fallen angel, um, being who is alive and active and, uh, powerful in the world. That's not the same thing as say, so just, I'm just trying to clarify that because one of them is very secular. And one of them is highly religious, and in the the in the mystery schools, and we when we say the mystery schools, what we're talking about are these schools of thought that are really the modern day Gnosticism, and uh, Gnosticism is a concept that goes all the way back to the the New Testament. Paul talks about it a little bit. Um, it's these I, you think of Freemasonry, um, Helena Blavatsky. Uh, it's not stuff that we're going to go into today, but it's it's essentially these these ancient ways of thinking or the modern version of these ancient ways of thinking of trying to tap into this old golden age power, and it tends to be quite Luciferian. However, they masquerade much more as satanic, which is more secular. So you get these mystery schools that kind of say, oh, we buy this Darwinian evolution. And then you find out that they're trying to, in some cases, tap into um, Luciferian power through ancient occult worship. Well, the, the, and those things seem in many cases to be at, at odds with one another. Like, how can you say that you're atheist, but follow occult worship to gain power? And, and that, that, that actually works 
in the mind of somebody who's strictly pagan, if they are saying, no, I believe that there is a, that, that this is the way the inner power of the world works or the Gaia of the earth works. And I'm trying to tap into it through these rituals. So somehow they, they can remove the idea of Christ and God and a creator, but still wind up in an extremely religious place. And I think what we should expect as we get uh, into, as we get further into the end times, I think what we should expect is the the insistent emergence of Christ in that narrative is going to be really frustrating to people who believe that they are trying to ascend as a human being by tapping into what they think is is the true revealed truth that goes back to these old Gnostic schools and these old pagan and occult rituals, which they don't really see as religious. They see them as just understanding the, the you know the hidden science behind everything um occult worship is you know a spiritual science ultimately it's you, you a plus b equals c and if you do the ritual right if you do the experiment right then you get such and such a result and there this is openly practiced and and also uh, you know practiced behind closed doors and more and more i think we're seeing that the uh, the rise of figure figures in Hollywood and other places, and I'm not naming names, that's not the point, but there, there seems to be a strong undertones and undercurrents, and, and in many cases, you know, out people who are flat out saying that they entered into these kinds of pagan and occult rituals in order to gain power and that it was effective in them being, and suddenly they're catapulted onto a stage and they have all the wealth and fame and sex and everything else, and, and it's at the cost of their soul. You hear people say that jokingly, but it's actually quite common in uh, in the Hollywood circles and the entertainment circles. So so why are we bringing all this up? Well, I'm, I'm, I'm bringing this up because ultimately what those practices are doing is they're trying to tap into an old science and that old science w- would be the golden age science. And Timothy Alberino uses the idea of Atlantis to kind of capture that. And he, w- he would be among the first to say, I don't know if Atlantis is literally the thing that was, you know, as Plato describes it in his in his writing. Uh, I don't know if, if Atlantis is really the civilization or if it's symbolic of the civilization, but there was some advanced civilization on Earth before the flood that seems to have been seems to have been informed by uh technology that we would call supernatural, but you've heard me complain about that term. I don't like that term because it's not helpful. It's, it's a catch-all that just is a lazy way of saying we don't get it, so we're just going to say it's magic. It, it's a spirit-level technology that some higher civilizations seem to have some understanding of that we don't understand today. And we see that in things like the pyramids. We don't know what they were doing or why or how. And if you think you have the pyramids completely figured out, you probably have not gone down enough. Uh, you probably haven't looked at enough um, uh, uh, perspectives on it because they're just we just don't know. They're mind-boggling. The, the more we learn about them, the more we understand that we don't know what's going on. Maybe Nikola Tesla had something figured out. I don't know. But if, if you've been told your whole life that the pyramids are tombs, you should probably ask yourself why, these, why there's never been a body found in them uh, and why they're not designed like tombs. So just floating that out there. But we're looking at this stuff, these ancient technologies, and going, what were they doing? And then how did they do this? Because we have no clue. We don't know how they built it. And then it's not just one. Then we start realizing as we do satellite surveys of South America that there's 
there are entire civilizations in ruins that we didn't even know about that follow the same technology. And these megaliths all over the world, all over these different continents, follow this ancient technology that seemed to have been extremely purposeful and extremely successful, but is all destroyed. So this idea of Atlantis that Alberino is bringing up is he's saying the, 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 the short answer to, you know, the, the short description of what chapter nine is saying is once upon a time, there was a very powerful civilization. And I'll, we'll talk about the origins of that civilization in a moment. And that civilization was wiped out by a catastrophe. And for some reason, we've all willfully forgotten that a la exactly what I just quoted from second Peter. For some reason, we've all willfully forgotten that, but it's kind of, it's now that we're approaching the end times, it's kind of uh, seems to kind of be coming back to the surface and those things seem to be activating again, or people seem to be getting real interested in trying to figure out this old technology. And as Dan mentioned, these mystery schools in there, if in, you know, if you read their, their documents and read the writings of the people in charge of these mystery schools, they are openly saying that the point of what it is that they're trying to bring back is the golden age. Um, I'm looking for the quote, Dan, maybe you know which one I'm thinking of, but there's a quote by Manley P. Hall. Um, here we go. I'm, I'm on page 175. Um, the Critias first describes the blessed state of the Atlantean people under the benevolent rulership of 10 kings who were bound together in a league. These kings were monarchs over seven islands and three great continents. From the fable, we can infer that the 10 rulers of the Atlantic League were philosopher kings endowed with all the virtues and wise guardians of the public good. These kings obeyed the laws of the divine father of their house, Poseidon, god of the seas. So what I just read is an excerpt from Manly P. Hall's The Secret Destiny of America. And Manly P. Hall is probably the greatest Freemason writer of all time. So what they're saying is that's the way things were back when it was good. And that's what we're trying to return to. Um, what Alberino points out is uh, that Atlantis is inexorably associated with the sea and his patron deity, Poseidon. And in, as you get into Revelation, you see Apollyon or Apollos rising from the sea or this red dragon rising from the sea. And his name is uh, Destruction. So a lot of these things start to tie in together and you, uh, to the point of being eerie. And we, we'll get into this a little bit more, I think, in the next episode. But um, the, the point is this concept of the golden age is coming back. Now, how do we know it's coming back? Well, read your Bible. Uh, Paul told us in 2 Thessalonians that it has to come back. He says in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 1 through 4, uh, this is the ESV. Now concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our being gathered together to him, we ask you, brothers, not to be quickly shaken in mind or alarmed, either by a spirit or a spoken word or a letter seeming to be from us to the effect that the day of the Lord has come. Let no one deceive you in any way. For that day will not come unless the rebellion comes first and the man of lawlessness is revealed. The son of destruction, the Greek word for destruction is Apollo or Apollyon who opposes and exalts himself against every so-called God or object of worship so that he takes his seat in the temple of God, proclaiming himself to be God. What he's describing there, and especially when you couple that with what these mystery schools are saying, is the return of the idea of the golden age has to come first, and that is the Antichrist paradigm. So the Antichrist paradigm is not a new concept. It's the reestablishment of an old concept and specifically 
the old concept that was intentionally destroyed by God in the catastrophe of the flood or what we call the flood. That's, that's a, as far as, uh, you know, as, as we're really getting in, uh, in the conversation today. So Dan, before we, I, I want to give you a chance of, again, to share your thoughts on that. Um, and then I, I'll probably talk a little bit about where that age started and where it came from. Um, just so that we can tie it in some of the early episodes, but I'll be quiet for a minute and let you share any uh, thoughts or clarifications on the, 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 all the stuff I just threw out there. Uh, no, go ahead. Keep rolling. Alrighty. With, with Dan's permission, I'll keep rolling. So, so where did what what is the golden age the original golden age where did it come from well you're not going to be shocked but we go back to genesis 6 right genesis 6 1 through 4 where you have the sons of god seeing the daughters of men and again if that's not familiar to you you go back and listen to the podcast episodes we've talked about this stuff ad nauseum and we'll continue to because it is important i think this is the knowledge that needs to increase but the sons of god saw that the daughters of men uh, were beautiful. They took wives and they had offspring with them. And those offsprings were the, uh, the Nephilim or the, uh, the giants of old. Now we know from other ancient documents and it is supported in scripture. Um, and I think you can tie the two together. And we've talked about the book of Enoch and some of these that go into a lot more detail about what happened in those civilizations, but these sons of God, are seemed to have shared a lot of secret knowledge. Now we're back to the mystery schools and secret technology with a selection of human beings and specifically with their offspring and those who were most important to the cooperation of their offspring. So their offspring were these, these mighty men of old and, and you can look at a lot of extra biblical material that supports this. Uh, and I'm not saying it's correct or true in every way, but this it supports this idea when you look at, for example, the entire um, Greek, uh, you know, what we call the Greek mythology. That's exactly what you have. You have these divine beings, which are not God, by the way. They're just gods who are having sexual relationships with uh, with. Uh, human beings and to sometimes hybrid human beings. And you're getting these resulting hybrids who are part divine and part supernatural or part divine and part natural. And these are these heroes uh, like Theseus and Hercules and these guys. Um, and it, when you put all the pieces together, you get this idea that there was this, this great civilization where some this, this subset of, of beings had the control over the earth. And what Timothy Alberino was saying is these gods who were not able to legally rule the earth because they were not humans. You have to remember the dominion of the earth was given to mankind in Genesis 3. These, son, these sons of God couldn't rule the earth directly because they're not mankind but their offspring are enough mankind that they can legally rule the earth. So what you get are these very powerful semi-human beings that are controlling the entire planet and have access to this divine level of technology. Uh, something we haven't talked a lot about is the, uh, the some of the ancient Indian documents from India, 
uh, the Vedas in particular, the Upanishads, the Vedas, um, these ancient documents describe this stuff in great detail down to what the technology was and how it worked. I mean, literally how it worked. They get into these, um, you know, how the engines worked in it. They're talking about flying machines that have con- incredible range and speed and maneuverability. And uh, and then there's this big war because, and um, Alberino points out that Athens and Atlantis were at war with each other. And that also, um, seems to reconcile with the book of Enoch that talks about the uh, part of the punishment for the fallen sons of God is that they see their offspring destroy, destroy each other in these cataclysmic um, battles that happen. But in the meantime, what you see is this highly advanced civilization spread all over the earth. And Grant, people like Graham Hancock are pointing out like, hey, look, we have this incredible megalithic architecture here, and then you go to the other side of the world, and we have the exact same architecture over there. Explain that. <laughs> if you you can't explain it from a Darwinian narrative, but you can explain it from a narrative of non-human entities having interaction with the human race and and sharing extremely powerful technology, which which is what Graham Hancock would say. He just wouldn't say that the Bible has it right, even though that's exactly what the biblical narrative also describes. So. That's the idea of the golden age. Then you have the flood, which is the catastrophe that destroys it. And meanwhile, the tradition and some of the secret portions of it are carried forward in these mystery schools, which are trying very hard to bring it back. And they intend to do it through the consolidation of one world government so that they can bring the uh, the philosopher king, exactly what Manly P. Hall described, that concept, that, that phrase philosopher king is something that is um, replete throughout the mystery school terminology. And the philosopher king is set up as the new ruler of the earth and lines up exactly with what the Antichrist is in scripture. So if you believe that there is a mystery school power behind a lot of what goes on in the world, if you believe that there's a reason why you have this uh, extremely occult symbolism all over the world, um, and we can we can certainly go down those. But uh, there, there's a lot of good reasons to believe it. You know, there's a reason why you have a Ishtar uh, and, and ISIS and the symbology everywhere, where you have the uh, the, the monolithic um, structures sitting in front of the domes, and why they're placed as strategically where they are. Everything from the Vatican to Washington D.C. I mean, this is old mystery school stuff. That that's what this stuff is, and it's done very very intentionally, um, but not necessarily with explanation to the public, but behind the scenes, if you know what you're looking for, it's extremely intentional. If you believe that there is really a secret agenda behind it, then that secret agenda is to consolidate world government and bring forth a philosopher king to rule the earth and to tap back into that secret technology, which as you've heard us say on other episodes is what they were trying to do at the Tower of Babel. The Tower of Babel was a human attempt to reach back into that golden age. It was post-flood and they were trying to reach back into the golden age to, to reestablish that communication and that technology. And that was where God showed up and said, uh, no, this is not how this is going to go down and change the, the communication and, and the peoples were scattered. So the, the, again, just throwing in that little nugget. So we've got, um, 
the original golden age based on the fallen sons of God creating hybrid offspring to take over the rule of the earth and to do that through advanced technology, which they wield over men to the point where mankind is really uh, suffering under the crushing burden of these extremely powerful overlords. But at the same time, they're enjoying the benefits of a lot of this technology, but only a select few most likely of, of mankind are actually in positions of power there. It's destroyed by the flood, but it's not gone forever. Uh, remember, the, the Bible says that there were Nephilim in those days and also afterwards. So it was the civilization was destroyed, but the entire uh, intelligence behind it was not destroyed. It's still very, very true. The, the spirits of those destroyed hybrid offspring are what we refer to as demons, and that's the demonic influence where they are wandering the earth and trying to get back into, uh, into bodies, and they have a fundamental hatred of humanity. And at the same time, you have the gospel, which says that Jesus Christ, who is the true and only full God and full man, is going to come and reclaim it all for himself and take dominion over the earth and raise mankind up to be the to be the the new sons and daughters of God to replace these fallen sons and daughters of God again a really good reason why our uh, non-human older siblings absolutely hate us and really don't don't like us and are always trying to send these messages that we're mismanaging the planet and we're terrible at it and bad things are going to happen because of what bad managers we are and how they could do a much better job if only we let the, them be in charge like they were back in the golden age and like they'd like to be again in the the end of times. So that's a, I'll take a deep breath there. We're about two hours in, which uh, Dan and I were like, oh, this will be a short episode, but um I think we all know better at this point. Um, <laughs> so much for that. Yeah, so much for that. My voice is about shot, and I'm sure Brian's glad that he wasn't here to make it a three or four hour episode. <laughs> but we, we look forward to having him back in the next one. But that, that's the crash course synopsis here, guys. That's what we're coming up to. And when we, when we approach the end times, that's what's going on. That's what's happening. That's what the Antichrist is, is the secular narrative around the Antichrist is good news, folks. We finally got back to the golden age. We can reestablish this. We can we can unite around this new figure. We've tapped back into the original technology. We just got to do something about these fools who keep talking about this Jesus guy because he's the other uh, potential ruler and uh, the, the secularists and the Antichrist ones obviously won't like him and they won't like anybody who's loyal to him. And it will come down to a big battle and that battle is called Armageddon and Jesus is going to win. So, But it's not going to be uh, peaches and cream in the meantime. Dan, I, I'll let you share your final thoughts. I know you've got some stuff around here and um, yeah. and then we'll wrap up the episode here. Yeah. Well, so one thing tying this back into what we were talking about at the at the very beginning Right, you talked about the um, the interview that I, we both heard, uh, where where the guy was talking about when these uh, when aliens come down and the religious nuts are gonna, uh, you know, I'll say, oh, they're from heaven, so we're gonna follow them, and and those people will, you know, get rid of their allegiances to their their nation and follow their allegiance to these um, aliens coming down. Uh, I mean, you can certainly see how that plays right into the returning of the golden age. And, and you know, Jesus warned us about uh, these things at the end times. You know, he says in, in Matthew 24, 24, false, false Christs and false prophets will arise before perform great signs and wonders so as to lead astray, if possible, even the elect. 
right? So these things are going to happen. And, you know, we, I guess the, my last thought here is that. Well, just, just to jump with spiritual technology to people who don't know what it is or how to do it looks like the word that we would use for it is miracle. It looks like a miracle if somebody can spiritually can do something that affects the physical realm by using a, an application of spiritual technology. So, so can the Antichrist perform signs and wonders? Absolutely. The, the golden age, that, that technology was real. I mean, they were, they were building things that still stand today in ways that we don't understand. And they were probably doing it in ways that if we witnessed it, we would say, that is absolutely miraculous. There's no freaking way we can replicate that because it's a completely different understanding of how the world works and what reality is versus our Newtonian physics approach to it, which is uh, almost childish by comparison of, of, of the way that, that they were probably doing these things. So, um, yeah. so we should expect that if they're, that if these mystery schools are actually able to return to anything like the golden age, and if we're getting some hybrid human offspring, um, with these, uh, you know, with these, uh, these beings, then they're going to be able to do stuff that you say, well, that, that must that be from God if they're doing things that we would think that only God could do. Right. And if people are not firmly grounded in Christ beforehand, you know, it's why it's called the great deception and people are going to be deceived. And, and of course you would be right. If you, if you don't have a firm foundation in Christ and something comes along, uh, aliens come down or, or whatever form it takes, and they're doing all these things and making all these claims, uh, of course, you're going to be like, oh, well, they can obviously do things we can't do. They're, they're obviously more advanced than we are, so we should probably listen. And so, you know, that's part of the, you know, Christ warns us ahead of time to be aware of it. And to have that firm foundation in him. And not only listen, but cooperate when they say, hey, by the way, we want to give you a, uh, a genetic upgrade and you can get away from all these old, you know, these old uh, human conditions that you have and move into this new ascended era. And when the Antichrist offers a, you know, a, a, a new, a, a just, you know, a firmware upgrade in your blood. And there's just some allegiance that has to happen and you're going to become something a little bit besides human, which is, I would argue, and I think Tim Alberino also argues is probably something along the lines of what the mark of the beast will be because it's always going to be an inversion of the gospel. That's how Satan works. He takes the cross and flips it upside down. Um, when you put that stuff together, then that, that's what you people who aren't firmly grounded, as Dan's describing, are going to say, uh, yeah, I would like to have zero chance of cancer and a very good chance of living to be 700 years old, you know, pick a number, whatever, a chance of living to be 100 years old and being healthy the whole time. And, and, uh, and by the way, having my mind connected in, in, uh, you know, telepathetic ways or telepathic ways to other minds, and some of which are greater intelligence than I am, I'd love to join that, that why not? Like, what's the downside? Well, the downside would be, the total renunciation of Christ's plan for humanity, which is his blood and his ascension and his kingship, which is the opposite of what the Antichrist is doing. So 
that's going to be the stakes. It's something like that. I don't know exactly how it will look, but something like that is what you want to start thinking about is that's what the Antichrist stakes are going to be and what the Mark of the Beast stakes are going to be. That's why it, it's a little bit more than just, oh, did you get the barcode or not? It's are you part of this this movement of ascension of humanity by, by nefarious means um, that's going to seem really good and right and pure to those who are participating in it. Uh, it and it's, um, as you can imagine, the, the, all the rules change when the stakes are that high. Right. And, and, and I think the, the stage is being set for, uh, for something to come and answer our questions, right? There's so much division in the world right now. There's uh, such a lack of trust, right? There's uh, nobody trusts the media anymore. You know, the, the media, the news used to be something where people could, go and think they were getting uh, information. And now it's just blatantly obvious that news is people spouting opinions and um, having an agenda. Uh, and they don't even try to hide it anymore. Uh, people don't trust the government anymore. Uh, even even this whistleblower who's trying to come out and say, you know, you know these things are happening. I'm trying to uh, you know open your eyes. People don't even trust a whistleblower, and 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 maybe rightfully so. Like like we've discussed, maybe he's maybe he's a honest whistleblower saying everything and uh, saying exactly um, what he knows and nothing more, nothing less. But maybe not, and um, and so there's just this huge lack of trust. And well, there's and there's another one. Um, in the last twelve months, almost to the day when we're recording this, we have seen the total. And I believe intentional and systematic undermining of the Supreme Court. The the Supreme Court. So we have we have the 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 three branches of the U.S. government, the legislative, the which is you know Congress and Senate, which nobody has ever trusted. Um, you know, I say that flippantly, but it's true in the modern era. And then you have the uh, um, the executive, which is the president, which people used to trust and that's been completely dismantled and nobody does anymore. You know, you've got it's when your choice is Trump or Biden and everybody has, you know, their, their loaded ammo for either one, nobody trusts the office of the president anymore. Everybody knows it's a joke. Well, the last one that was still standing was a Supreme court. Well, what's happened with the Supreme court? Well, it's been, first of all, it has been manipulated to take on nothing but extremely controversial views. Um, we had Roe v. Wade overturned about a year ago, which on one hand, yeah, as somebody who believes in the sanctity of life and, and who uh, you know, thinks uh, abortion is a, a, a horrific part of our society that shouldn't be tolerated and believes that there's much better approaches to dealing with unplanned pregnancies, you know, I, absolutely, I don't believe that the Supreme Court should be upholding abortion. But the way that whole situation was done and the fact that it really hasn't resulted in any actual meaningful change of the issue, but has created a huge amount of anger and rage and distrust combined with the systematic dripping of corruption by Supreme Court justices and the heavy barrage of Supreme Court rulings on this issue or that issue or the other issue where no matter what side of the aisle you're on, you're going to be furious with the result. 
I believe all that's being done very intentionally because that that was you know the last great vestige of American democracy with with the legislative branch being down the tubes where you've got uh, Lauren Bobert and Marjorie Taylor Greene calling each other middle school insults on the floor. Uh, meanwhile, you've got the executive branch where you've got the you know your the the ridiculous presidential choices that we have where it's it's just a complete circus at this point. And the only thing that was left was the Supreme Court. And in the last 12 months, and, and before that, I mean, even when you look at the, the confirmation processes for the justices and all that, they were just turned into complete circuses. But I think the 12, last 12 months in particular, everybody's angry at the Supreme Court and nobody trusts it anymore because it looks corrupt and manipulative and and it, it doesn't have anywhere near the veneer of of dignity and justice that it had just um, just a handful of years ago. So another rant, but I believe that that's been done intentionally. And so Dan, to your point, everything's been divided. Who used to be the great world leaders? Uh, well, Putin used to be considered one of the more powerful leaders in the world. You know, he's he's being uh, he's been turned into a circus act recently and is all over the news even today as, you know, the fall of Putin, the mutiny against Putin, the desperation of Putin. Um, who's left? Who's the leader now? I mean, who is there in the world that is being that, that really should be stepping to the vacuum? What currency is there? What governmental system is working right now? Well, none of them, and, and we shouldn't put our hope in the world uh, by any means. And 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 I'm I'm okay with that. But the the point is that, as Dan's saying, that the timing of this seems extremely convenient. <laughs> it's just it it's really intersecting and coming to a collision course where it seems absolutely ripe for somebody or something to step in and say, "Look, guys, we here's the answer you've been looking for." And by the way, it doesn't come from your traditional political systems. It's something much better and much higher. And and what secular human wouldn't say, "Oh, thank goodness we have something here. I'm all in." If something were being offered that really appeared to be from a much more intelligent and wise source than we're than we've been dealing with. Yeah, so something coming along falsely claiming that we can we can finally trust it. And, you know, we got to keep in mind, there's, there is one that we can trust. Um, you know, we, the world also right now, the, the culture around us uh, is very much about, you know, choose your own truth. What is truth? You know, which is a chilling thing that, that seems to be said as if it's a normal statement. You know, that's a quote from Pontius Pilate. That's not that's not something we want to be as our rallying cry. But like, what is truth seems to be just everywhere these days. And so, you know, there is truth, and truth does matter. And remember that Jesus in John fourteen six, he says, Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And so, you know, with with all of this stuff, no matter what topic we're going to go to, we're going to tie it back to Jesus because he is the only thing that we can really rely on. And he's, you know, as, as much as there's all this different speculation and, and uh, things that we don't know, there is something we do know. And it's the most important thing to know, which is that Jesus is Lord, that, uh, that, that he's saved us, that he's made a way to reconcile us and to, to fix a fallen world and to, to put us in right relationship with him. And uh, that's ultimately what matters more than anything. And uh, I'll leave it at that. Well, and thanks, Dan. That, that's always 
the right place to leave it. It is the truth. Our hope is in Christ. It cannot be in a new form of religion. It cannot be in uh, an outside extraterrestrial uh, threat or solution. It cannot be in the the post-human paradigm of genetics, robotics, artificial intelligence, nanotechnology, which by the way, I'm saying those things in that order because as we move on in uh, birthright, then the overlap of those things, there's literally in the book, there's a Venn diagram of those three things, the new religion of apotheotheism, the alien threat and the golden race and the post-human paradigm, you overlap those three things. And in the middle where in the Venn diagram, where they all overlap is the new golden age and the revealing of Apollo. Um, so that, that's, you know, that, that's where we're heading with this. And hopefully you got a, a healthy dose of that today. But the answer to all of that is Christ. Christ is the son of God and the son of man. He's the only begotten son of God. And he is the only true and perfect son of man. He's the only one who offers redemption and restoration to the human race. And he's the only one who can defeat and who will defeat these uh, these rebellious beings who hate humanity and who want every good thing that's been given to humanity. Christ can restore what's good and right, and he can restore us to our rightful relationship with our creator. And anything more than that or anything less than that is antichrist. And we got to be informed. We got to be prepared for it. So this this stuff, you know, as we're throwing out all this stuff that seems doom and gloom, I mean, in one way, yeah, it's, it's dark and it's heavy stuff. But on the other side, this is super exciting because this is what Jesus died for. This is what he resurrected for. And the good news, guys, is he's already defeated this stuff. When, when Jesus... Uh, crushed the the head of Satan and took the keys of death and Hades, the victory's already won. He already has the power and the authority. There's a reason that demons flee at his name. There's a reason why the the enemy cannot stand the the presence of Christ, the 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 name of Christ. There's a we and we who are in Christ have the spirit of Christ. It's it's there, Second Corinthians chapter two. It's it's there. We have the spirit of Christ, and He's given it to us. Us us are you know the the cracked vessels that we are, the 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 unworthy ones that we are, the ones who have been deceived and manipulated and abused by Satan and and his minions. We have the spirit of Christ and the spirit of Christ overcomes all the other spirits. And we live in the conflict of that. And from time to time, it, it seems really, really dark, but the it's, it's guaranteed that we're heading to victory. And you have to be asking yourself, have I staked my life? Have I staked my, my soul? Have I staked my future on that? And am I willing to believe that at any cost? Well, what's your alternative? I mean, really, the Antichrist, is that really such a better way of a, a, an outside extraterrestrial presence that will manipulate and lie and abuse and usurp authority and who behind the scenes hates you but finds you really useful for what it's trying to gain? Is, is that really who you want to serve? Haven't you had enough of that? That's not what Christ does. Christ already has a victory. He already has the uh, the authority. All the power is his. And it is by grace that he offers those things to us, not by manipulation, not by need, not through deception. It's the recognition of truth and by his absolute grace that he's offering us a chance to participate in his very family. 
and that's a it, that's the gospel. It's it is it is good news. It's incredible news that there that there is a uh, that there that we have the choice to return to our rightful relationship with our Creator, and that that can be done by Christ. And it's good news that how clear it is that there is absolutely no other way. And all all other ways are going to be are going to be revealed for what they are, which is antichrist. So on one hand, yeah, it's heavy stuff, it's dark stuff. On the other hand, this is the the most exciting time that ever has been since Christ walked to the earth, and and, and the, to see the revelation of what it is that He accomplished on our behalf, and to be here for the uh, the consummation of those things. And I don't know when it is. I, I speak of it as a certainty because it is a certainty. I don't know exactly when. It just seems like it's coming uh, sooner and sooner. Um, to to be able to speak openly about the consummation of those things, and to know that it's that that it's happening, and that we're seeing the early stages of that, and rapidly approaching that reality. And, and if I'm wrong, if I'm off by 500 years, so what? The point is, it's still true. The, the it's a super exciting time to be studying our scripture and a a really exciting time to be talking about Christ, not as a, a religious pursuit, not as a, a lifestyle, but as the reality of what it is to be a human being and what it means to be made in God's image. And that suddenly those things like that, that that, that, that the definition of those things really matters. Maybe for the first time in a long time, something you heard in Sunday school is suddenly going, Oh, Oh, it's a big deal, isn't it? It's relevant. It matters today. It's in the headlines today. And I need to be able to tell the difference of one thing from the other. So we call you to reorient yourself, no matter where you are in your relationship with Christ. We we urge you to uh, look to him, to take the, the time and the energy to look to him and to, to marvel at him and who he is and what he's offering to you and the grace that he's extended to you. And all he asks in return is that you recognize him for who he is, not because he needs it, but because that's your way out. He asks you to have faith in him, to say, yeah, he is who he says he is. And that means that you are who he says you are, and who he says you are is somebody worth dying for, worth dying to save. And he demonstrated it with his own blood. So turn to Christ. Uh, As Dan says, it always comes back to Christ, no matter what topic we're on. And you can find the truth about him in scripture. And more and more what we're seeing is scripture really seems to have had a a perfect handle on all of these things all along. And it's going to continue to be blatantly obvious. So we thank you for being here with us for this 18th episode of the Mystery Bible on podcast. We're so glad you could join us. Please do share these episodes with your friends. Make sure you post them, review them, join our discussions. We appreciate each and every single one of you. We're so glad you're here. We're so grateful that we're able to talk about these things with you through this incredible uh, podcast and internet technology that we have available. We're grateful for our co-hosts, for all of you who uh, may be able to join us in the future. We're thankful that God's given us minds and material and the ability to increase our knowledge of Him in this day and age. And we want to be salt and light in the world. We want to be pointing the world towards Christ in these uncertain times. And we hope that we've been able to do that with this episode. So thank you for joining us and we look forward to the next episode.